The most popular podcast episodes that we have are the ones where people quit their jobs. That's what it's all about. And we talk a lot about the first deal. And today I want to shine a light again on that first deal and really drill down. And normally we don't have people on the show that have just done their first deal. I really want to know what was their journey from you know, W-2 job to financial freedom in its entirety. And there's not, you know, hundreds of people like that out there, but there's plenty of them on the podcast. But what I want to do in this episode is I really want to bring someone on on who just has done a single deal. And one of the things that this guest is so interesting is because he's had absolutely no prior real estate investing experience of any kind. In fact, he was a winemaker for a decade, okay? That's, that's all he did. Didn't have any money to invest, and despite all that, he was able to get a 218 unit under contract and get the broker to take him seriously despite all that. So we're going to spend a lot of time in this episode talking about how is it possible that this broker took this person seriously without any previous experience or any kind of resources or anything at all, and how come they were invited to submit an offer, and how is it possible that he got on a contract, and how is it possible he was able to close a 218 unit, and that's what we're going to talk about on today's show, so let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now... Your host, Michael Block. So since we're going to be talking about the first deal, it's only appropriate to make sure that you know we have resources to help you do your first deal. Uh, so we have a free training class called How to Do Your First Apartment Building Deal, appropriately called. And it really, in it, I'm going to teach you how it's possible that you can do this without having previous experience or your own cash. And Anthony is a perfect example of exactly that. He didn't have any experience or any kind of cash. And so in the webinar, I talk about how it's possible that you can do it. And I'm also going to share with you how you can get your first deal done much faster, maybe in the first 90 days or so. So make sure you check that out. It's a free training webinar. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash first deal. So themichaelblank.com forward slash first deal. Check out this free training class. Uh, super proud that we have this in place as a resource for you. All right, now let's get right into the interview with our guest, Anthony Metzger. Here we go. Anthony, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Michael. Glad to be here. It's an honor to be on the Michael Blanc podcast, my favorite podcast, the podcast that's hosted people like Grant Cardone, Robert Kiyosaki, Drew Whitson, and now Anthony Metzger. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm really excited because one of the things that people are going to really, really want to know about is how in the world someone like yourself, relatively young, no previous real estate investing experience was awarded. A, how many units was that in Little Rock? 218. 218, right? So you skipped a whole bunch of steps, at least in my mind, many people listening, watching this thing. And if you're watching this on Facebook Live now, that's awesome. Let us know where you're you know, watching this from. If you're watching this on on, uh, on YouTube, uh, do the same thing in the comments below. And if you're watching this on iTunes, that is on, on your podcast. Welcome to that as well. If you want to participate in discussion, hop over to YouTube because the same episode you're hearing right now is actually going to be on YouTube as well. And uh, you know, we can be much more interactive in Apple, iTunes iTunes just doesn't allow you that. So people are going to be really interested to know more about, you know, your your background and your essentially lack of experience. And you skipped a bunch of things. You skipped the single family house investing. You skipped the small multifamily. You skipped the, you know, I'm going to use my money first before I use other people's money. You skipped all that, went right to a giant deal. So I love that. And let, let's, let's kind of rewind the clock a little bit here. What did you do before getting even started in real estate? Sure. So when I graduated high school at the age of 18, I went over to Europe for a year and was in the wine industry. 
So I, I got my certification as a sommelier, worked as a sommelier in a restaurant over there. Then I came home, went back overseas to do some winemaking um, in Bordeaux, traveled the world as a winemaker, and spent 10 years in the wine industry. So 10 years in the wine industry, also while being in the wine industry as an entrepreneur, I actually went around and, and did these wine documentaries. And you can actually go to YouTube and see one of them right now. If you type in South Africa wine documentary, The Pink Grape, that's me. I saw that one. That yeah. was really well done, man. Thank you. Nicely yeah, done. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with that one. It's, you know, it's like a piece of artwork for me, but it was entrepreneurship. And so always been an entrepreneur at heart, but 10 years in the wine industry prior to getting involved with multifamily. Okay, so, so that's insane. So, all right, so how in the world did real estate even enter your mind? Why, why did it enter your mind? <laughs> so I started listening to Grant Cardone, somebody who I love, but I was more listening to his books from a motivational side. And so he was really motivating me as an entrepreneur. Then I started listening to Robert Kiyosaki, got more interested in, in multifamily real estate. And then I was sitting on the couch one day and my brother Frederick Metzger came, came down and goes, have you ever heard of a guy named Michael Blanc? I go, no. He goes, yeah, I've been listening to his podcast and he is actually selling a program that if you buy the program, he teaches you how to underwrite multifamily deals. And then if you find one that meets his criteria, he'll partner with you on it. So I'm sitting there on the couch, I'm looking, I'm like, okay. And he goes, you want to buy the program, get into it? I go, sure, let's do it. So I gave him my credit card and we bought your program. <laughs> that was literally December, 2017. So two years ago this month. And so I bought the program. Literally, Frederick started studying how you underwrite from that program. And, and then I got involved as well. And just started looking at deals. Started, started to learn how to underwrite. Started using the Senate syndicated deal analyzer, which is a tool I use today and is a deal I, or is a tool I use on the 218 unit deal that, that we just closed on. So just started underwriting deals, practiced on the deals that you provided in the program, followed your videos. Then I started reaching out to brokers and the brokers would send me deals and I would analyze them. And mostly is practice at that point. But we were, you know, right from the beginning, we, we started bidding on deals and um, that's how we got started. So that's really interesting, but uh, you're, you're, in my mind, you're skipping a step between you sitting on the couch and you actually spending money. Now, I know your brother, Frederick, kind of dragged you into it, but what was the reasoning behind it? Why even start even down the path of evaluating multifamily? Like, why? why? Yeah. So I've always been an entrepreneur. It's in my blood, you know, generations of entrepreneurship. And I was just sitting there. I was pretty hungry for something to do. I'm, I, I was in the an entrepreneur with the wine business, but that became more of a hobby. And I luckily I realized that. So then I said, time to shift the focus. Multifamily, just from listening to Robert Kiyosaki, Grant Cardone, and then your podcast really started making me think, you know, okay, let's, I'd like to give it a shot. Cause I actually have a, a family friend who owns multifamily and growing up, you always heard about how great multifamily is cause he was never hit by the recession. So, you know, we got hit by the recession pretty hard in our business. And so I was just thinking, God, that would be nice, but it was always kind of one of those fantasies. But then sitting on the couch, once we bought the program, we just dove into it and started doing it. And that's part of being the entrepreneur kind of hustler that, that I am, is I was just like, I'm just going to do it and just focus on it, and then we'll figure out the rest later. <laughs> and that's well, It's, it's interesting. And a lot of entrepreneurs are, are like that. They tend to be action takers. And sometimes entrepreneurs take too much action. Like they don't, it's, you know, it's, they don't, there's no calculation there. And, and I'm guilty of that as well, certainly. Um, then there's the other end of the spectrum where there's a lot of analysis paralysis people. Right. So I'd love to know 
on YouTube and on Facebook right now, you know, which, where are you on the spectrum of that, right? You got analysis paralysis, you're overanalyzing, you're always educating, you're very cautious. And the other one, you just kind of do stuff head over heels. So which one are you? I know I used to be a little bit more over the impulse person, really we're thinking, which is a strength on the one hand, but on the other, it can also hurt you. And it, and it sounds like, I don't know, what, where are you in that spectrum, Anthony? I'm happy to say I'm kind of 50, 50. I'm, I'm uh, always, I'm always learning and how to analyze better but I'm also taking action. Like for example, right now I have a 232 unit, I'm negotiating with a broker, but that took a lot of sitting down and analyzing before I could get on the phone and make the call. So I would say that I am 50-50, which I'm very fortunate to be. I think that is good. Now, I think you answered a question why you skipped single family house investing, but what was your plan when you started out? I mean, a lot of people are thinking, oh, I'm going to quit my job or I'm going to do something. What, what in your mind, would you think it was a fun thing to do? Like, you know, going on vacation or did you have a strategy in mind when you started? The strategy literally was just follow what you were teaching in the program. I, Sorry, goal, goal. Yeah, not strategy. What was your goal when you started? Would you my have a goal was to do my first deal and I didn't want to do a deal. I didn't want to go out and raise money. I didn't feel comfortable raising mm -hmm. money without having done a deal. Going back to school and high school and in college, the highest level of math I think I've ever passed was like algebra one, <laughs> which I mean is ridiculous. They teach that almost freshman year. So mm -hmm. I just never clicked with math and all of that. And so like Robert Kiyosaki says, seek real teachers. And to your credit, Michael, finding you, you were my real math teacher that I've been looking for my whole life because you taught me, see, I barely passed algebra one, but here I am analyzing 10 plus million dollar deals, making offers and getting them accepted. See, I didn't know that about you, Anthony, because I thought, I think you're, you were very diligent analyzing. I almost would say you're a numbers person. Now I am. I actually enjoy numbers now. Back then I didn't. Amazing. And now I actually have fun. I'm always on my calculator. It's like, it's kind of fun. But going back to that story in school, I was never like some big academic guy. So I didn't have that confidence of, oh, I can go and convince people to give me money because I feel like my inner circle probably wouldn't look at me as somebody they would invest money with because, you know, not a Harvard grad or whatever. But now that I have proven myself, I do feel more comfortable talking to people about hey, maybe you should invest in the next deal with us because look at what we're doing right now. So that's that's amazing. So and forgive me for beating you up a little bit on what your end goal was. What I love about what you said is you didn't really think too far ahead. I think a lot of people think too far ahead. What I was asking you is, did you think farther ahead? Did you think past the first deal? And if so, what was that end goal that you had in mind? So the goal was do my first deal. That's the yeah. thing for me. Do my first deal. From there on, <laughs> everything will fall into place. Obviously, thinking beyond the first deal, I always kind of thought about it for fun and try because I am a big picture guy. So I liked looking at that big picture, but it always came down to do the first deal. I don't care what it takes. I don't care if I get a sliver of the pie. I don't care if it's a small deal, a big deal. I need to get my first deal because then I'm in the inner circle. So well, you are. That's what it and was, you was do my first it. deal. And so I can see my brainwashing is, a, is hard at work with you, Anthony. I love that because <laughs> the first deal is so critical. And, right. and you're, you're right. And a lot of people are, are almost too analytical about their first deal. Uh, and they, they may be a little bit bent out of shape that it's not a great deal, not a home run deal. You talked about, hey, I don't care what sliver I get. It doesn't really matter to me. And that really is the importance of the first deal. I don't care how much money you make in that first deal. It is far outweighed by the value, the inherent value of that first deal because it opens up so many doors. Uh, we're going to get into the first deal a little bit more, but since we're on the topic, since you've done that first deal, 
what has happened to you and your credibility and your confidence and and how you interact with brokers or even investors? Right. It's kind of funny. I was just talking to Frederick the other day before doing this deal. When we were looking at deals, I would avoid a deal that was marketed by Marcus Millichap. <laughs> they were too intimidating for me. I felt like they were like the Harvard, you know, I was like, oh, okay, these guys are going to pound me with a million questions. I'm not going to be able to answer. It's just mm. too intimidating. The other day I had a broker from Marcus Millichap call me who mm. I've never spoken to before, but was referenced. They were referenced to me by another broker that I was working with. And they called me and said, Oh, Anthony Metzger, um, was calling because we have this 232 unit for sale right now. And I've been referenced to you by so-and-so. I go, oh, that's great. We just closed on a deal four miles away from the one you're marketing. He goes, that's why I'm calling you. You're at the, because you closed on that one, you're on the top of our list. Nice. And so it's little things like that where now, like I said, I'm in the inner circle. I can have that real authentic conversation as to where before, you know, I was very genuine. I never lied, but I felt like there was behind my back. I didn't really have much show for it for my conversations with brokers. Now I have that little bit of weight behind me where I can, can have that conversation and feel more confident about it. Also, I, I've been working with a broker in Jacksonville for the last two years, and her and I have a really great relationship. She called me two days ago and says, Anthony, I, just, I, just, I got this 88 unit in Jacksonville off market. I know the owner. He's just listing it with me. No one else is going to see it. I want to send it to you. We've been talking for a long time. She sent that to me last night. I just got the financials on it last night, so I'm going to look into it today. But things like that, where all of a sudden you're getting these deals off market, Marks Millchap's reaching out to you, and then being a part of the team, like the Nighthawk team, you know, I can, I can reach out to you guys. You guys are super helpful with everything. And so doing that first deal, it brings so much more than the money. If you look at it for a money thing, it's like Robert Kiyosaki says, work for an outcome, not for money. And so that's, that's exactly what I'm, I did here. So I talk about it all the time, but it's it's one thing me saying it and one thing you saying it, right? And and it's like a, a, a switch switches on, like from an off position and everything's different all of a sudden, just because you did this first right. deal and you're just talking about that right now. Now these brokers that you can't get them to return your phone call earlier, now they're calling you, right. okay? Because they heard you close a deal. Wow, that's amazing. Well, what just happened? You know, I just closed the deal. And that's pretty cool. Now, one thing on my on my mind is, you know, so you're sitting on the couch. Yes, you sign up you know, for the course and you guys go through the course, but how are you able to convince a broker to take you seriously enough? And I can't remember exactly when you brought it to our deal desk, but we have this deal desk program where if you find a deal and you bring it to us and we like it, we'll partner uh, with you. And, and we're expanding that to include other kind of lead sponsors for that. But you know, you didn't really necessarily know in the beginning that we would partner with you, right? So how in the world, what steps did you take to get that broker to take you seriously enough to say, yes, why don't you submit an offer? Right. So great question. What I did, so I actually speak two languages fluently, French and English. When I bought your program, I'm going to name it just so anyone listening is interested. It's called the ultimate guide to buying apartment buildings with private money. That's the program I bought into. In that program, Michael, you teach us another language and that's the multifamily real estate investing language. So after learning that language, I get on a phone with a broker. I immediately start talking and, and referencing some of the terms that you teach us. And when I speak that language to that broker, they all of a sudden don't seem to question me as much. Mm. They, they kind of like, I, I get so into the conversation right away, asking real questions and making real comments from my analysis 
that all of a sudden we, we're in the conversation and we kind of like get past immediately the, who are you? What's your credibility? And we're talking about this deal. And then, so the broker, it, it's almost like it, it feels like it would be awkward for them to start questioning me after we start getting into the conversation. So if I can just right off the bat, start talking, they tend to like feel slightly uncomfortable trying to ask me about my credibility once we start talking right away. And, and why do you think they feel uncomfortable? I totally agree with you. I've heard this before, but why do you think they would have, so why would they not go, oh, Anthony, that's great. Why don't you send me your proof of funds? Why yeah. would they not say that? It's kind of like if you're having a conversation with somebody at a Christmas party you just met and they tell you your name, you start talking, and then later you go to ask them what their name is again. You know, it's like you kind of, I don't know if I want to ask them what their name is. That'd be kind of awkward. You just said my name four times. So I don't know. I mean, they will ask you. I mean, they probably will eventually. But if you can just get that conversation and then also be very genuine on the phone and, and talk like a normal human being and, and just create a relationship, I think that goes a long way as well. I think um, that's kind of what got me in the door as far as being able to be granted to look at this deal. All right. Well, that's great. I'm, I won't let you off the hook yet because there's more there. But what I'm hearing you say is you got some education, you're using the right language, right. but somewhere also you must have developed some form of confidence. So it's one word. I can deliver the same set of words one way, meekly, unconfident, and, and one more confident. How oh. did you... Because it's kind of scary. You're calling up a broker, right? Like you said, calling up a Marcus Milchap is it's intimidating. So this wasn't a Marcus Milchap, but this guy was listing a 218 unit. So what did you do to develop, on the one hand, the confidence to do that and overcome your fear of calling that broker? What was nice on this deal is that I was sent the, I was able to access the financial package of the deal before having the call. So I was able to download that from their website and then analyze the deal so that when I made the call, I had a script to go by, which was my underwriting and some real authentic, real questions that I had about the property. So when I sat there to make the phone call, I had my underwriting in which I was confident in. I had made previous calls before. So I had, like you were saying, confidence is up, but I had my script. I had my questions, just reached out and, and just had my script from, from underwriting the deal prior to making the call. All right. Hold on a sec. So I'm, I'm writing this down. The first thing you did is you actually analyze the deal. So you use a syndicated deal analyzer, analyze the deal. So you be familiar with the deal, the numbers, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, and then you prepared a script. Well, and the other thing you did is this was not your first broker call. This is what I'm hearing you oh, say, right? Oh, how right. many brokers, how many brokers did you try to call before then? The number is not exact, but I bought your program in 2017. We got started immediately. This deal didn't, it was like a year and a half till this deal crossed my desk. And, and you know, I analyzed deals for a year and a half prior to, to this one actually ended up working. So you got out. really good at analyzing deals. And in, in order to get those deals, you probably had to call countless brokers to get right. those deals. Because sometimes you yeah. get them off the website like you're describing. You, you put in your username and you create an account. You can download, you sign the non-disclosure yeah. and you get the, but not all of them are like that. So you must have called a lot of brokers, analyzed a lot of deals, which means that you now have not only the basic knowledge, you mm -hmm. have the right language. You now have a, a high degree of skill in analyzing deals, which is unbelievably priceless. Then you then prepared a script to call the broker, which I think is is really smart. That way, you know what you're going to talk about. You know what questions you're going to ask. And a lot of times, the broker can tell out about you by the kind of questions you you ask. Right. Anything else that you did to get that broker to kind of say, "Yeah, why don't you uh, why don't you submit an offer?" 
I think it was just what I said. And then, and then when being on the phone, like talking, you know, having confidence in your voice and when you're talking with the broker, I mean, when you get on the phone, you act fidgety or your questions are a little weird or this or that. I mean, you really have to go there and, and get on the phone and like going back to that script, having your bullet points, having, having your really good questions to ask. So if I'm somebody trying to do my first deal, I would just do exactly what I did, which is buy that program, learn how to analyze deals, learn the language, and then start practicing. This great of a call doesn't happen right at first. You really do have to start practicing and learning. And so a market you don't want to get into, just start practicing on that market because you know it's not probably going to go well and those brokers probably won't call you back because, but it's a great place to learn. And then find your market and, and implement that strategy there. I love that. There's a lot of gold nuggets here, guys. And we call that the throwaway market, <laughs> right? right? So you got your top market or your top two markets and you pick a one that you are not going to go in and you start actually literally practicing on that market for a period of time until you get really good and you get really confident. So I love that. So is that what you did? Did you, did you uh, pick a throwaway market? When I first got started, I literally would analyze any city in the United States of America that had a population of over 250,000 people. Okay. So I would just analyze anywhere. And I was analyzing, I would go to the East Coast and things like that. And that's probably more where I would practice just because I know that for what we're trying to achieve, it doesn't really make so much sense over there. But yeah, I mean, I just practice anywhere I could, anywhere I could, I would. And uh, this is the advice that we have for our students as well is in the beginning, it's really more activity over outcome, right? You're just analyzing every deal that comes along. You're speaking to any potential investor that comes along and it doesn't really matter, right? Whether you love the deal, it's big, small, green, cube, whatever the case, right? So is that, right. did you find yourself doing that in the beginning and, did, did, and, how, and how did that evolve over time? Did you become a little more picky with the deals you, you started analyzing after a while? In the beginning, right, I would analyze pretty much anything that would come by my desk because I knew it was a good way to learn. I mean, it was, it was more to learn. So I was just learning that the syndicated deal analyzer, learning new, you know, why some properties perform this way and others this way. So it was really to learn. Nowadays, I can look at a deal simply from the photos almost and see if it'll work. I mean, for, for what we're trying to achieve as far as returns. So I can tell by looking at a property if it's value add or not. And based off of just the price and stuff. So I look at deals. I can, I can tell if it's worth analyzing or not now. But back then, I would analyze anything just to learn. So that's what I would actually recommend if you're if you're getting into it. Yeah, that's smart. How many how many deals do you think you had to analyze to have a acceptable level of confidence? How many is that? Five, fifteen, twenty, a hundred? Yeah, I would say I've probably analyzed well over a hundred deals in my last two years. But um, to get comfortable, I would say. It doesn't have to be that many. Let's say 10. Yeah. It's about how much you're putting into the deal when you're analyzing it. What are you taking away? It's like it's like anything else, like a class. Are you going to go there to learn or are you going to go there to sit through it? Same with these deals. Are you going to analyze them to actually learn or not? So you can do it in five to 10 and start really learning. Or if you're just kind of just going you know, through your brain and you're not really soaking it in, it could take you 100. So it really depends on the person analyzing how serious are they taking it, how much are they trying to learn, what kind of notes are they taking, things like that. All right, awesome. So we're talking with Anthony about how it's possible he did his first deal without any kind of previous real estate experience. And uh, he ended up closing a 218-unit deal with us, actually, as a partner in Little Rock. How was your interaction with this broker? So uh, obviously, the first time you called him, you had already analyzed this deal. What was your interaction until the point where the broker said, hey, why don't you put something in writing? What did that process look like? 
so got on the phone with him after analyzing the deal and then asked him my first round of questions. And he was super nice. Richard Cheek, <laughs> broker from, from uh, Little Rock, super nice guy. We got on the phone. We had really good conversations. And we had about maybe a half a dozen or a dozen where it was back, more about back and forth questions regarding the deal in the market where I was trying to clarify things for my underwriting. And all of a sudden, I started spitballing a number and said, this is kind of where I'm at. So to be clear, this deal, 218, was actually a part of a portfolio, sent to me as a portfolio, two property portfolio of like 350 units, dissected that portfolio, analyzed each deal separately. The one deal didn't work for us, but this one did, the 218, the bigger of the two, did work for us. And so I started spitballing a number on that deal to him, my ballpark number, tried to see if it's worth pursuing if we're in the ballpark, and told him that I'm only interested in the one deal. And then he got back to me and said, you know what, I talked to the seller, they are interested in selling the portfolio separately. They have offers on both properties. So I was like, okay, great. I go, what about my number? Is it in the ballpark? Is it worth me investing more time and resources into this deal? He goes, I would say so. He goes, so why don't you send over an offer and an LOI? And so drafted up an offer and, and, and sent it over. And at this point, so that's my relationship with the broker at this point. So just back and forth conversation regarding the deal, kind of tried to get a vibe from him, see if I was in the ballpark as soon as he said, yeah, you know, a broker will typically invite you to submit an LOI. So I did submit that LOI and then didn't hear back right away. We didn't get awarded the deal right away. So, you know, this thing did end up bouncing back. And so as Drew Whitson says, I'll always be your best second offer. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way these deals work sometimes. At what point did you bring the deal to us at the deal desk? When did that happen? Right. And this is actually very important because it's kind of tricky with the deal desk as to where like, at what point should I bring the deal? Because it's, you know, it takes your guys' time. You don't want to waste your guys' time. It costs money to bring a deal to the deal desk. And I was sitting there for a while thinking, when do I bring this deal? At what point? Like there's so many things. There's going to be a buyer's interview. Like I can't, I don't want to do it on my own. So I did take an early leap of faith, I would think, because I didn't have a signed LOI when I brought the deal. But I was like, you know what? I just want to get these guys on board. You have a president, uh, Andrew Niffin, who is incredible. I absolutely love him. He's super genuine, super nice. Him and I, you know, over this year and a half, so I started creating a relationship with Nighthawk Equity as best as I could. And then at one point, also, I was like, you know what? I just have to bring this deal um, now that I know I'm in the ballpark. It may be slightly early, but I got to take that chance. So I submitted the deal to you guys and that to me is, is the ideal time to bring on a joint venture partner, okay? It's right after you have verbal agreement and you are invited to put something in writing. The deal isn't, quote, real until an LOI is signed. And, and, and the deal has to be, quote, real before you do a variety of things. For example, before you bring it to a joint venture partner or before you try to get proof of funds if, you have, if that's a requirement. It's got to be, quote, real. The problem is if you use an LOI to make it real... If you bring it to your joint venture partner, in this case, it was Nighthawk. If you bring it to us and we don't like the terms you negotiate in a the deal, then we're mm -hmm. going to have to go now go back and renegotiate that LOI, which isn't the end of the world. It just doesn't look that great. Right. So we have found that the best time is exactly what you did. You f is, is right after you, you have exactly, you made the quote 10 minute offer. The broker mm -hmm. says, you know, you're in the ballpark. Why don't you put something in writing? Which means that's the LOI at that point. 
you kind of now you need to go deeper. You can sharpen your pencil on your underwriting mm-hmm. and your SDA. Now you might do some more research and now you might spend a lot more time, but that's also the perfect time to get your joint venture partner on board because for the same thing, number one is you got to make sure that you incorporate the partner's terms into that LOI. And also that partner can actually help you get from LOI to the contract. As you mentioned something about buyer's interview, describe yeah. kind of the process. We bring it to the deal desk just for you guys. We have this deal desk where if you're part of our dealmaker mastermind, where you can find out more about, about uh, the michaelblank.com forward slash DMM for dealmaker mastermind. It's a very affordable program. Uh, it's really designed to help people become good at analyzing, network with other people, but also to bring deals to our network of sponsors. But once you've done that, there's a process where we kind of interview you, we qualify the deal because you you can't just, analysis is one thing, but you know what assumptions are behind the numbers. So we'll ask you, well, why do you think the rents are low? Oh, I talked to the proper manager. Oh, I got a pro forma. Well, how do you know the cap rate of resale is blah? How do you know what the cap rate is? Oh, I talked to an appraiser, right? So we have this checklist we go through and you satisfied all those and maybe you're missing one and we send you away and you come back. But now you've basically researched this entire deal. Uh, you have an inside track on that deal. And at that point now, we can help you craft that LOI. And so explain the process moving forward now. You know, it, there's an indication that we like the deal. What happened after that? Sure. When I brought the deal to you guys, I had done a ton of the heavy lifting before. So I did do the reach out to the property managers. I did a lot of that heavy lifting. I, I wouldn't bring a deal to you guys just having done a 10-minute offer and then the broker say you're kind of in the ballpark. Right. At that point, I would dive deep into the deal right. and then really feel confident about all my underwriting and then right. present. And, and that's why we have the deal desk goal. And that's why we charge money right. for that, because they typically right. tend to turn into coaching calls uh, because, sure. you know, because you actually haven't they haven't followed the process. Now, this process you're describing is what exactly what we outlined in the ultimate guide that you need to do. Mm-hmm. And you did all that stuff. So yeah. probably the time you spent at a deal desk was very, very minimal. I think we probably said pretty quickly, man, we like this deal. We like Anthony. Let's go. Once we said, let's go, now what happened? So once you said, let's go, we did have that buyer's interview, but you guys, okay, so Nighthawk now has a guy on their team, Garrett Lynch. And this guy is incredible. I mean, if I was the president, I would call Garrett Lynch and say, I want you on my negotiating team with China because that's how good Garrett is. I mean, Garrett, you know, I brought deals to Nighthawk before prior to Garrett. And I'll be honest, there's a lot more on the student to do. But now that Garrett's involved, I feel like he's that guy. He's getting those deals across the finish line. So once I had, once we were in agreement, Nighthawk and I, and I, and we decided to pursue it, we got to that buyer's interview. We really started looking deeper into, into our property managers that I had found. And then closing the process, you know, you go from purchase agreement to closing. That's a very detailed, very, you know, painstaking process or can be, but Garrett Lynch really just brought it across the finish line beautifully. So Bringing it, once we got you guys on board, once after our call, you guys agreed, it was really just working with Nighthawks team, Andrew Niffin and um, Garrett Lynch at this point, and helping them out as much as I can. And they kind of take it away from there. But um, yeah, that's, that's so what I want. This was an example of a competitive deal. There were other actual buyers uh, in line for this. Now talk about this buyer's interview, because this is the thing that's always very scary. What is a buyer's view? What is the purpose of that? And how do you win? through a buyer's interview? Sure, so the buyer's interview is is exactly that. The person selling the property says, I wanna interview the people that are gonna buy it, as funny as that may sound. Yeah, so they're gonna interview all the people that made offers on their property. And they're gonna award the deal, not always to the highest bidder, 
but to the person they feel can close the deal. Because it's very, very annoying and can be expensive for a seller to go with a buyer that can't close. So I could easily have gone to this gym and said, I'll give you $15 million. But then in the buyer's room, they're like, well, how are you going to close on that? Let's explain your underwriting. So that's why they have the buyer's interview. They want to make sure that the buyer can close on the deal. And so that process was exactly that. We had the broker on the phone. We had the sellers on the phone. We had the Nighthawk equity team on the phone, Garrett Lynch on the phone. Garrett really took hold of that conversation and that interview answered all the questions. And eventually, after that interview, very shortly thereafter, we got awarded the deal. And this is the value of, of aligning yourself with a lead sponsor. In this case, it was Nighthawk. There are other lead sponsors out there, but that's really right. the value they bring to the table is that kind of thing. Because if, if it's you and the seller and the broker and they're grilling you about your experience and your ability to close, it's going to be like crickets, right? And they're just going to, they're oh. just going to die laughing. Now, let, let me right. ask you this, though. You Obviously, the broker was took you seriously enough to invite you to make an offer. Now, did they at that point know who your lead sponsor was? In other words, why did they have confidence that you could actually mm -hmm. close this deal, even if you'd submitted an offer? Sure. So once I got close enough, you know, we, we were having this conversation. He never really questioned me, but then he did say submit an offer. But then once I did, he starts, you know, asking about who, who's our team. Yeah. And at that point, you know, I had been talking with Andrew Niffin. So I did feel comfortable saying, well, I would be bringing this deal to Nighthawk equity. So and I am careful with that, Michael, because I don't want to mislead brokers and I don't want to take your name and just use it willy nilly because I wouldn't want to go and say, Hey, I'm, I work for Nighthawk equity or I'm with Nighthawk, you know, when it's not true, cause I'm not an employee of Nighthawk equity, but I'm somebody who's going to bring a deal to Nighthawk. So when I say that I will be bringing this deal to Nighthawk equity and at this point, remember for anyone listening that doesn't know Nighthawk, at this point, I did start a dialogue with Andrew Niff and I had brought deals previously. So we did have a rapport. He did know who I was. So anyway, so I did once I got to that level, I did say, I'm, I'm going to be bringing this deal to Nighthawk equity, explain Nighthawk a little bit. And that's where that's. So the, the, the lesson here is that as you're doing and finding deals, it's very important that you align yourself with at least one lead sponsor. And so you you bring up you know Drew Niffen who's a president of, of our investment company Nighthawk Equity. You had a, already started establish a relationship with a lead sponsor. Now, that does not mean that we're going to partner with whatever deal you bring along. There's no guarantee of that. Right. But what I'm saying is for people listening and watching this is that as you're if you're going to be a deal finder or a syndicator and you're looking for deals, you already want to be uh, having pre-existing relationship with lead sponsors. The same way that investors, right? We teach you, hey, go find a deal and also start networking with investors and start getting verbal commitment so that the two kind of align. If you're going to focus on finding deals like you did, you said, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to raise money right now. I'm just going to focus on the deals and bring those deals to someone. Then you have to start that relationship up front, right? Because it's the same thing with raising money. If you know you have a, a lead sponsor who already thinks you're competent and can do the job, and if you find the right kind of deal, I will partner with you, that gives you a lot of confidence, right? A lot of confidence right. to call up this broker and says, well, you know, there's no guarantee yet, but I'm going to be bringing this to my, my partners. And once we submit an offer, they're going to be behind us. Yeah. And so going back in my previous two years of underwriting deals, I actually got very close on an 88 unit in Rockford, Illinois. And that was the first deal I brought to Nighthawk. Yeah. And Nighthawk didn't, you know, they actually accepted it, but the seller didn't agree to our, our terms. It was kind of a mess of a deal and it didn't work out. But anyway, 
what was very valuable about that deal is I created that relationship with Andrew Niff and Nighthawk. So now I'm on his radar. He knows who I am. And from there on, we, you know, I'd send, I'd send an email, you know, once a quarter or whatever. And, Oh, Hey, this, that just to try and get in touch. And then what I did is I started attending your events. You had an event this past July that I went to absolutely phenomenal events. I would highly recommend anyone going. I'm going to go again. This, this was uh, this this was dealmaker live. Dealmaker yeah. live. I, you know, so if you want to get in with, with these groups, like, like I did with Nighthawk Equity, yeah, start creating that relationship before just, hi, you know, bringing them a deal. You got to create that rapport. And so I started attending the events. I started bringing them deals. You just got to create that dialing. If you're going to do that with any other buying group, you've got to start doing that. You can't just bring them a deal like right off the bat. And if you do, great, but just expect that it may not work out, but at least it's an introduction. All right. So, so you're, you're actually subconsciously bringing out a whole kind of really cool nuggets here. Okay. And this is basically how you approach a lead sponsor. And, and you, you've done this now. And one of the things I hate more than anything else is I get an email from someone says, Hey, here's this deal I got. What do you think? <laughs> that drives me up a freaking wall. Why? Because the person is not only not providing value, but they're wasting my time. This could be a lead that's listed on a, on LoopNet and it's been on there for two freaking years and they've not underwritten it. They don't have an inside track on it. Like, why? Okay. Versus what you have done, and this is the advice for anyone who wants to bring a deal to a lead sponsor, and, and certainly mm -hmm. all of the people that brought us deals, and if I talk to some of my peers, people that have brought them deals, they all have the same thing in common. They are adding value to the lead sponsor, meaning that when they bring a deal, it's thoroughly underwritten. Okay. It's thoroughly researched, and you have an inside track on the deal somehow. So inside track means verbal commitment, or you're invited to submit an offer, or you have an LOI signed, or it's an off-market deal. That's what I call inside track, right? And that has unbelievable value. And you bring a deal like that to a lead sponsor, and then go, this is great. You are an asset to our team and not a liability. And so that's my advice. Uh, just based on what you're saying, anyone who wants to bring a deal to a lead sponsor, that's how you do it. Any other um, thoughts around that? Absolutely, because a lead sponsor is someone like yourself or Andrew Niffin. These people, you people are so busy and your guys' time is so valuable because you're doing so many things. You're at the level in which you guys are at, you're above and beyond. Now you guys are on a whole different spiritual level with your businesses. So your time is so precious. And so if I was, you know, somebody just reaching out and sending over emails of deals, I mean, that's wasting time. Now you're becoming, like you said, a liability. That's the last thing you ever want to do. So definitely you got to have a ton of respect when trying to deal with a lead sponsor like your guys, like yourselves. Yeah. For sure. And then it, it was, it was fun then uh, hanging out with, with us and the team basically on the site visit. That was kind of cool. So I want to, yeah, I want to say like when we did this deal, so we went, I flew down and met the Nighthawk team in Memphis. We went and picked up Michael at the airport. He came out in a t-shirt and his, sneakers, which is really cool. You know, you always hear Michael Blanc, you're thinking, you know, something crazy, but just a nice guy didn't give up the front seat. So, I mean, no, super cool trip. I got to see the Nighthawk team up close and personal. One of the coolest things on that trip for your listeners was from Memphis to Little Rocks, about a two hour drive packed in the cars, Drew Whitson, Andrew Niffin, Michael Blanc, and myself. And I'm sitting there in the car, right? like, how the hell did I get here? Because it's really, really cool being that up yeah. close and personal. We should have recorded yeah. that call because it was a super call. We were talking about everything under the sun. And, right. and um, yeah, that was that was, that was was fun. I always enjoy those trips. Gets us a, a way to get together. So love, love that. That was it, awesome. It was, it was awesome. And I want your listeners to know that in that car ride for two hours, Nighthawk actually, Michael Blanc, Andrew Niffin, Drew Whitson, 
the entire two hours, they were talking about how can we help other people do deals? And I want people to know that because like, honestly, so many people are out there for the money. You guys are really trying to help other people do deals. And I'm a proof of that just because I came, you know, I was just an analyzer. I didn't bring you guys any money, nothing like that, but I did bring you the deal and you guys kept your promise, which was we will do a deal if you find a deal that meets our criteria. And so just want everybody listening to know that for two hours in a car ride from Memphis to Little Rock, you guys are just talking about how you can help other people and then you are helping other people. So it's just a great team of guys that I'm very happy to be a part of. Yeah, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate that. We've done 11 deal desk deals essentially and it's not easy to do. And we don't accept every single deal. So some people are going right. to be disappointed. Uh, we're trying to do more than that. And, and one of the reasons I think we had that discussion is we try to figure out how we can help more people do deals by opening up the deal desk. And that's something that we're starting to do right now as well. But, you know, it, it's, it's like one of the things we're doing our own deal is sort of fun. But doing a deal with someone like yourself, like their first deal, that, that lights me up. And so I, I love that. <laughs> but again, I think one of the reasons we had so many discussions around this because it's not an easy thing to do on a more scalable level. Right. And, and so maybe that was the crux of that. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And yep. uh, so what's uh, what's next for you, Anthony? Next for me is do my do another deal. That's, you know, the, the focus for me in the beginning was do my first deal. Now my focus is kind of do my second deal. But now that I've done my first deal, I can obviously go and do more things like add more value to the team, bring money to the next deal. Right. Um, I'd like to take part in asset management on my next deal just to learn more, more than anything. And so do my next deal and, and maybe build a brand around myself and around what I'm doing, websites. Um, right now, I'm still pretty bare boned um, as far as that goes. But yeah, do my next deal and build a brand around it. And I'm also bringing on board some other people that want to get involved. So kind of doing what Michael Blanc does, which is trying to help other people as well. So on the small level that I can, I am bringing someone else on board to do my next deal. With. Yeah, I love that. So you may or may not partner on that second deal with us. And that pleases me because that means you're graduating. That means you're raising money. You're lining yourself with other, uh, building your own team. And that is freaking awesome. And I I love, as much as I'd like for, like for you to bring us the next six deals, I know that's not going to happen because if that were to happen, we're not doing our job. We're not helping you become self-sufficient. So I really- I'd love to do another deal with you, Michael. Right, maybe, maybe, and maybe we will, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe we will. But I'm saying is even if you don't, we've done our job which is uh help you become self-sufficient so that's really cool absolutely hey, any any parting words of advice to someone maybe in your shoes sitting on the couch that you were two years ago scratching your head going yeah what's my future look like right i would do i mean i can i can vouch for what i did which was i was on the couch i bought the ultimate guide to buying apartments with private money program learn how to underwrite started reaching out to brokers practicing on their deals making offers and just repeat that process. But then if you're looking to team up with a sponsor like yourself, start trying and create a relationship with that sponsor. Go to their, their events. For example, if I want to do a deal with Michael Blanc, I'm going to go to Michael Blanc's events. So go to their events, really start trying to find how you can add value to that sponsor. But yeah, I would just start by educating yourself, practicing, take action, real offers. And then eventually, you know, you'll end up doing your first deal. It took me a year and a half. And during that year and a half, I was working for free. So I want people to understand, I was clocking out of work. I was going home. I was going to my computer and I was working and I was not getting paid to do that, which was analyzing deals for a year and a half. It was like Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad told him, you know, don't work for money, work for the outcome. And, and that's why Robert didn't get paid when he was a kid. But, you know, he got the lesson at the end of the day. And that's kind of where I'm at today. So with, with what I did with this deal, which I'm actually really proud of, doing what Robert taught. So I, I love Robert Kiyosaki. So 
but yeah, no, I just educate, take action, learn, network, and eventually, you know, things will work out. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, Anthony, I, I, you've been a real pleasure to work with. Really loved, enjoyed working with you. Hey, how can people uh, connect with you? Thanks, Michael. So it's anthony.metzger at yahoo.com. Like I said, I don't have a brand or anything yet. This is my personal email. I know I got to upgrade that, get to the next level, but anthony.metzger at yahoo.com. Yeah, yep. that's, that's great. You definitely need to fix that, Anthony, but I think that's I know, next for I you. Know. So <laughs> it's been a, a real pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks so much. Michael, really appreciate being on the podcast. Awesome podcast. And thanks for everything you're doing. Really appreciate it. Uh, this may be one of those podcasts that you may have to listen to more than once because Anthony's situation is like most other people's situation, which is they don't have any real estate experience. They don't have a million dollars sitting in a bank. In fact, they don't even have $10,000 or $5,000. So it's a very common situation. And most of the people who are successful are in that same exact situation. Some are a little more, more fortunate. They may have some money to invest and that helps them, but most of them do not. Some have single family house investing experience. And it helps them a little bit, but not as much as you might think it does. The vast majority of people are exactly like Anthony. And it's surprising, shocking almost, how many of them can get started with multifamily without prior experience, without first going into single family house investing. And it's really cool. So you might want to listen to this more than once because he really breaks it down of what he did and what you can do. And this is the process he described is actually, I would say, almost a blueprint of how to be successful. Now, there's really three things that you need if I want to break it down. One is you need confidence, you need support, and you need a network. Okay, you need those three things, confidence, support, and a network. Confidence is important because as Anthony says, this really affects how people treat you, how they respond to you, okay? So in the case of brokers, they will probably ask you for proof of funds if you don't speak with confidence. Investors are gonna ask you about your track record and if you've done previous deals, if you don't sound confident. It also affects your ability to take action. If you're more confident, you're more likely to submit offers. If you're less confident, you're likely to kind of kick the can down the road and defer making an offer. So confidence is super important. Number two is you need support. Okay, you need people around you that will hold you accountable. You need people around you that will help you deal with unforeseen circumstances. And every single multifamily deal is going to be slightly different. Every one has a curveball of some sort. So really having a support. Now, in Anthony's case, he had ended up having us a support. And so that's great. So no matter what you do, make sure you have some kind of support around you. Number three is the network. Okay, network is always important in multifamily, right? It's the most important thing because you need a network of people around you. Let's start with your team first, right? You need a you need a proper manager on your team and a lender on a team at a minimum, okay? Right up front before you start making offers. So you got your, your core team, but let's look at some of the other partners. So joint venturing, okay? In the case of Anthony, he needs a lead sponsor that he has a pre-existing relationship with so that he can, when a deal comes live, uh, you're not getting to know each other. You kind of already know each other, right? So if you're a deal finder and you want to align yourself and you're a new investor, you want to align yourself with a, a lead sponsor with experience, then start that relationship now, okay? If you are a deal finder and you want to align yourself, so for example, with capital raisers, start that relationship now. Now, these things take time. In the case of Anthony, it took him 18 months to get that first deal closed, uh, though he came close several months before them. And that's great. I think that's fantastic because I will, I'll bet you in a year from now, 
he will not recognize Anthony Metzger. He's going to have a website. He's going to have investors. He's going to have a team. He's going to have capital. He's going to have opera. He's, you will not recognize a man if I were to bring him on a show, and maybe I will. All right. Now, if you want to accelerate all of what I'm just talking about here, I would encourage you to check out our mentoring program. Okay. It's not for everyone, uh, but it is for some of you. It definitely requires a significant investment. But if you are in that position to do that, you can greatly accelerate that kind of timeline, often in several months. In fact, our program is so effective that we guarantee results. We guarantee that you will get your first deal done in the first 12 months or we'll continue working with you until you do. No one else provides this guarantee. The first step to find out more is to schedule a strategy session with us. That's at themichaelblanc.com forward slash mentor. Okay, themichaelblanc.com forward slash mentor. You can schedule a call with us and explore over 34 minutes whether it's a right fit because we don't actually take everyone. There's certain things. We've done this so many times now. We know kind of what to look for. And we only want to bring on people that will succeed. And Anthony checks all those boxes. We don't look for experience. We don't look for money. Okay, but there's certain characteristics and traits we look for that we know will make you successful. So we don't work with everybody. Uh, we have their position to do that. And we literally, because of our system, coupled with the right person, we have essentially 100% success rate and we stand behind that. So if that's something for you, then check it out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. We will be really excited to talk with you. Even if, if it's not right for one of us, uh, it's going to be probably the most valuable 40, 30, 40 minutes that you'll have because we're going to try to clarify your goals. And if mentoring is not right for you, there's probably some other resources we can point you to as well. So I really hope you found that valuable. Really dissecting the first deal, not so much from the mechanics, okay? The mechanics, how do you submit an offer? How You can learn those very quickly in a course such as the Ultimate Guide that Anthony mentioned, but the thing is really the mindset, the limiting beliefs. How do I overcome those? What are those? How do I overcome those? And I hope that Anthony and I talked to those specifically because they're so common. I hear them all the time. So again, I highly suggest that you listen to this podcast more than once and really ingrain that because here's the thing, you can actually do this. If someone like an Anthony can do it, then you can do it. And there's many, many, many other examples of people that have you know no experience, no cash, and are successful as well. So if he can do it, you can do it. And I hope you guys found that valuable. I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.